Well, good morning. I am Jeff. I, I'm one of our pastors here, and welcome. It's Thanksgiving weekend. That gets lost about right after thir turkey dinner on Thursday, and people start planning how to go shopping on Friday. And uh, the adventures that come after that and, and start putting up Christmas trees and Christmas decorations and, and things. It's the most heavily traveled weekend of the year, they keep telling us. There's something about Thanksgiving that gathers us together as families, right? That people want to get together from all over the country and different places and, and gather together. It's not so meaningful if you're not from the United States, you're not American, uh, and you run into that because you realize, oh, you know, Thanksgiving for what? It's not that hol It's our national holiday, if you will, um, and it brings a lot to it and that impact. It's also the start, as, uh, as Burnett just brought up, a new season, a season of arrival, arrival of the King, King Jesus. That word is called Advent, and over the next weeks, uh, Rob's going to start a series um, on the arrival, the advent, the arrival of the King, arrival of Jesus. But this morning, I'd like to take us through a little ride, if you will. A little ride that I've been on and let you join in with me. And before we do, can we pray? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I'm, I praise Your name for who You are. You are great. You are the King. You're above all things. Above all people. Above all others. You're our Creator. And we honor You and praise You. The Holy Spirit, I invite You to come. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, I invite You to come and just and fill us. Let us hear from You this morning and what You have to say. Talk to us. Speak to us. The quiet words that Jesus whispers and interacts with You, Father. That we'd hear from You today. It's in Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, there is real power in the name of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about that power a little bit. Let me ask you a question. Has your life, have you been through life recently that you felt like it was a roller coaster? Or maybe you're on that roller coaster right now? You know what I'm talking about, right? Where suddenly you're going along, everything seems fine, and then there's this downhill free fall. It feels out of control of some tragic event that's occurred or some thing that you weren't expecting, a sickness, an illness, a death, whatever it might be, and it's a trauma, and you're just hanging on for all your worth. Or maybe it's around that blind curve that you didn't see coming up, and it's not just a curve, but it's a twist and loop, and oh, and you're just hanging on. Have you been through life struggle like that? Has anybody not? Come on. Has anybody not been through something like that? We've all gone through that, right? Well, for me, it's been that way over the past weeks intensively. Um, and maybe over the past few years. Uh, just got back this week, just this week, uh, from my dad's funeral in Oklahoma. And many of you know the story, and for our visitors and, and new folks, uh, you won't know. Let me talk about just a little bit, because it's been my roller coaster, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, there was some 
Rob's had me scheduled here um, for several months uh, or mo more and planning the schedule. And there's some thoughts come up. Jeff, should you preach this weekend? You're just back from the funeral and back from what's going on over the past couple of weeks in his tents. And, and as I even questioned, I said, Holy Spirit, do you want me to speak today? I kept hearing him say, oh, in your brokenness, I have something I'd like to say. So if I get all whimpery and stuff like that, I'm trying to fight it off just for the moment. If I do, it's just because I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak. Okay? Are you ready to hear Him today? Alright. Let's do this. You've all been through a roller coaster. And I've been on one. Uh, it's gone on for the past few years as Dad's illness uh, started failing greatly. Um, many of you are here. Two years ago, we flew him here and he lived with us for a, what, a period of time, some months. Uh, because he almost had almost died in Oklahoma. And uh, so I pulled a guy out of his environment from eight decades and said, why don't you come live in Massachusetts? And uh, the good news is he got the feeling better living with Rayleigh and I, and we are giving him his medication. And the bad news is he got the feeling better. <laughs> and he wanted to go home. And, uh, of course, there's a place in his state in his life that, you know, going home and living and existing on his own wasn't going to work well. But he did anyway, and within just a couple, two or three months, I'm, being, I'm flying back, rushing back, because Dad's in the hospital again, and at this point I need to move him to an assisted living place, and he's been there, been there and, and then over this past summer, last May actually, the cardiologist said, your dad's heart's about done. I, I would say six months. And I said, you, you, well, you know, six months. Nobody knows six months. No, no, I would be surprised at six months. And interesting enough, almost to a few days, the cardiologist was right. So I've been on this roller coaster with that, and then the finality that it actually happened uh, the last week or two, as we're, as uh, his health's declining, our one of our daughters, Melissa, gives birth to a baby in Minnesota. Woohoo! Yeah, and so uh, grand grandchild number three, and so that's an exciting time, and so we've got that cooking. Like, how do we get up there and go do that? And then, oh no, I'm getting all these calls about dad. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do we do? And really, you need to go. Melissa needs her help. She needs help right now. There's some things that she needed. Like she needs you. You got to go. You know, let's focus on on her. And uh, called my brother, and he flew down to Oklahoma for a weekend to see Dad, not knowing it would be his last weekend, uh, but suspecting it. And things started declining greatly. And so Rayleigh's in Minnesota. I'm here on multiple calls per day with a nursing home, with the nurses and doctors and staff and, you know, folks that work in that environment. And some of you do. A couple of you guys in here work in a nursing home or a care for the elderly. God bless you and what you do. I mean, the life that you give to, to give up for others, it's incredible. And even when they're, one of the nurses is crying, uh, calling me, telling me, you know, where dad's state is. So it was emotionally kind of those things until I finally got the call and said, you know, your, your dad's not here anymore, and he's gone. And uh, so I'm calling Rayleigh and my emotions and all that. That finality, that's big, right? So that's happening. And then and then to go back, change reservations. We'd made reservations with our tickets to all fly via Oklahoma to spend that holiday with dad, this holiday, Thanksgiving holiday. And it turned out we had to change all the tickets. And I was like, okay, whatever it's going to cost. And... and uh, Thankfully, the airline waived all these change fees, 
and um, we were able to change our tickets and go. And Rayleigh's in Minnesota, and so I've got to f- fly her down. She's with our daughter, and she's needing help. And like, how is she going to get away? You know, all that kind of stuff is just take you through the emotions going in. Alan's in school, and he's got projects due, and he's rushing to get those done and trying to help him understand what that means and speaking with teachers and got a lot of grace. Going back, and then within just hours of being back, the nursing home saying, uh, um, you know, politely and nicely, but I needed to go and clean out Dad's room. Um, you know, so like all of that stuff he's been using and wearing and whatever for just hours before, if you will, 48 hours before, that that going on, walking into his house, if you saw any Facebook pictures, oh my goodness, um, you know, that going on, I needed to, you know, take care of that and all that, his estate, his will, um, the funeral home, the arrangements, memorial service, uh, friends calling, contacting, some of you interacting, just a lot of kind of things, it was a real roller coaster. Uh, a real roller coaster for me. All this mixed together with a surge of feeling that, oh, dad's just down the road and with, I'm with my daughter, Mary Beth, and we'll just drive over there and go see him, but he's not there now. You know, that, that to maybe he's in the next room, he's sitting in his wheelchair, and we'll just go, you know, interact with him and, and realize the finality of it all. You know, brokenness occurs whether you're prepared for it or not. I mean, I saw this coming, right? I mean, you know it's coming. Does it make it easier? No, you know, and sometimes we see the tragedies coming and sometimes we don't, you know, they're, they're surprises, but nonetheless it came and it doesn't make it any easier. And there's a brokenness that occurs. Past memories intersect with what the current situation is. And then all these thoughts about what will the future look like and be like and, you know, without dad in the picture anymore. I, I knew how serious this condition was because as I am, uh, my dad was a graduate, the first college graduate of his generation uh, in our family. Um, and he went to the University of Oklahoma, highly encouraged me. Uh, took me to my first Sooner football game when I was a kid. Quite impressive, I might add. But then there became a finality in another sense because 12 years ago, almost, my mom had passed away from, from cancer. And it was like, all of a sudden, this wave hit me. And I was like, I'm experiencing this all over again with mom being gone, you know? on me it's it's like i've both parents it's like not only is mom gone and dad gone now but that part of my life where i had my parents or a representative there is gone you know so it's like another wave (laughs) how's this get any deeper you know for me it's been a real roller coaster i was came back through chicago this past week and I'm sitting in terminal, actually the same area where Dad and I had passed through a couple of years ago. How many of you remember seeing my dad when he was here a couple of years ago? He lived with us. Yeah, a number of you still remember Dad being here. And so I, I'm in a terminal, and I'm sitting there, and I'm remembering how I was newly fumbling through taking blood sugar, giving injections of insulin in the airport, and you know him not wanting it but needing it, and you know seeing blood sugar numbers that were taking the meter like. Like, okay, Dad, we got to take care of this and his pills and medications and all that fumbling along and him not wanting to be there but wanting to go through there. And, and I'm sitting there by myself. And there was thousands of people passing through the airport. And I felt like for a moment it was just to- dead quiet. I was the only one there. 
It was like this wave of, wow, he's gone. He really is. He doesn't, he doesn't need me anymore. And there was some good stuff that came out of this, upsides. I went back and forth to Oklahoma so much. I moved away um, a long time ago, um, more than 30, 31 years ago, out of Oklahoma. And so it's not been my home for a long time. But I've flown back so much over the past few years uh, to be with dad and, and get to see, then I get to see my daughter, and my son who lives there, and my daughter, husband John, and, and family, my grandkids, two grandkids, Addison and, and Luke, that actually they become very accustomed to seeing me. And when I'm there, I come in out the front door often, and like maybe many of your homes, most of your friends and family all come in through a side door, through the garage, or something like that. I was always coming in and out the front door, and Mary Beth laughed. Every time the doorbell rings, Luke, the five-year-old, says, Lito's here. Lito. And well, you know, abuelito, abuelo, papi, granddaddy in Spanish, he's here, you know, every time he hears the doorbell ring. So that's kind of cool. And he cried when I left this past week. But that's been good to be around him. In the memorial service, some words came to me, and, and both my brother and I share. I have one brother, and we both shared in the service, and and. Some thoughts have been coming over the past few years. It's been tense. His dad said, I don't want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want this to go on, you know, and stuff about his house and, and finances and things like that and, and moving on. And, and I remember reading through the Ten Commandments and one of them that, that stood out was honor your mother and father. And that's rang in my mind a lot. It's like, okay, honor dad in this, honor mom and dad in this, honor mom and dad through this. And I realized that it's not just something that we do in our childhood. I mean, I'm a 59-year-old kid, maybe, but uh, it's something we're supposed to honor our parents, not just in childhood. I mean, you don't take the other Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, I only murder in this part of my life, but I can murder in this other parts of my life or, or lie, steal, or whatever. But no, no, it's, it's something for not just in childhood my, my whole life and then it dawned on me you know it's really not just during my parents lifetime i'm still supposed to honor mom and dad through the rest of my lifetime that's the 10 that's what the 10 commandment means that's what that fifth commandment means to us and so i'm sharing that in this in this memorial service and they took a great risk having me come up because as I came on, I can talk. And so, you know, I'd warn the pastor. I said, look, I'm going to take over this thing. And, uh, and so we start talking. I start sharing stories. And, and, and so we're, we're, we're sharing a, a couple of different stories that come out of this. And I see some good friends. And one of them grew up just around the block from where I had grown up in the house I grew up in. My dad's current home isn't that house. He moved there when I was in college. But the house I grew up in before I was five years old, um, all the way through, through college, this friend Kirby had lived around the corner, and he was there at the funeral. And I've kept up with him off and on over the years, and uh, unfortunately, he went to Oklahoma State University, and so we've had these kind of <laughs> tensions that go on in our relationship. But Roger, I hadn't seen Roger, and he lived really around the block. We, we played together. I can't tell you all the things, that the fun times that we had as a kid together growing up. And he was at the funeral. I haven't seen him since I graduated high school in 1974. 41 years. I thought, Mr. Johnson. No, that's his Roger. You know, not his dad. His Roger's here, you know. And, and so we, we had a good, good time. And afterwards, we're all standing out drinking coffee and, and, of course, and talking. And as I'd gone to the memorial service, I saw this fellow. And I said, gosh, he looks familiar. But I, I didn't know who he was. And 
after memorial service, people lined up and they're greeting Aurelie and I and the family and they're talking to us. And, and um, this guy comes up and says, I don't know if you remember me. I, um, I'm Jerry. And I said, Charity? Of course I remember you. <laughs> you know? And what he was so different, he was been a friend growing up, but he was more than just a friend in the neighborhood. He was a year younger than me. We weren't the closest of friends, but he went to my church growing up. And it kind of dawned on my mind, um, Jerry, thank you for coming. Of all my friends, or people I'd known in the past, he really came out of the past for me. And like, wow, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. And, and how are you? And uh, thank you for coming to honor my dad. And, you know, oh, I had to be here, he says. Uh, really? Oh, oh no, I, I had to be here. Uh, your your mom and dad were my eighth grade Sunday school teacher, and they they had a big impact on me. Oh, really? Gosh, I mean, I knew they helped in classes, but I didn't know that. He goes, and your dad, I, I had to be here. I said, why? Well, you know, I graduated a year after you did, and I went down to the technology school in Okmulgee little town there outside of Oklahoma, and, and I was finishing my two-year technical degree in electronics, and, and I didn't know what was going to go on in my life. I just didn't know what was going to happen. And they had this job fair, and I wandered into this job fair, and one of the management people from one of the local, the local utility companies showed up, and it was your dad. And he comes up to me and said, Jerry, did you go to, you're, you're going to school here? Yeah, are you finished? Yeah, you got a job. And thank you. He just hired him just like that. He knew him. And he hired him just like that. Jeff, I've got to tell you, thank you. It's been 38 years I've been with the company now, and it, 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 he saved me. He, he rescued me. It changed me. Thank you. Uh, I'm here. And roller coaster. Emotions. That, that he was there. Yeah, we all go through them all. There was a lady who, <laughs> my brother and I both shared, dad taught us something, and that was how to love a woman, how to be faithful. He loved mom so much. She, uh, she passed away just before their 50th anniversary, a couple months before. And dad loved her to the last breath. As there's emotion in my voice right now, some tears in my eyes, until the last month, if you were to ask dad about mom, he'd cry. Oh, he loved mom. And Doug and I, my brother and I, we shared that in the memorial service. And I'm drinking a cup of coffee, and a lady comes up to me. I mean, a, a senior lady, let's just say from dad's church. Um, and, thank you. And she comes, she comes up and said, Jeff, you're so right about your daddy. I'll speak in Oklahoma for a minute, it's okay. You're so, you're so right about your daddy. I said, what's that? He was a faithful man to your mama. He was faithful to your mama. Oh, thank you. He loved her. I said, oh, thank you so much. After she'd gone, I flirted and flirted with him. <laughs> to try to get his attention. I just couldn't. And we just, bro, I just broke down laughing. You know what he did? I, she told that story to my brother and to everybody that was at that whole memorial thing, you know. It was, just, it was funny. You know, life is a roller coaster. And sometimes it catches off guards. And in the theme park sense, some of us really like roller coasters. Some people wait and 
over an hour in line for a roller coaster. <laughs> Some of us will ask their parents to wait with them over an hour in line in a roller coaster. <laughs> Some like them mild, though, and some like them wild. Aureli hates roller coasters. We take the family on a, on a um, when, the, when the girls were teenagers, and Alan was about, I don't know, eight years old or so, eight or nine. We take them to a theme park, and we're going to go and Aureli, it's something in this part of life. When she was little, so she liked roller coasters. She's got older. She didn't want anything to do with rocketing out of control and doing flips and things. And we're we're uh, at this theme park, and Alan's just discovered he's just hit this the height requirement. You know, the little thing you stand against, and he can ride it. And she, no way, we are not getting on this roller coaster. Huge roller coaster. I'm not getting on that. The girls, oh, come on, Mom, we can go, we can go. She's, no, we'll, I'll do this one over here. And it was one of these little kitty ride roller coasters. And so I'm going to sit this here and probably ruin a keyboard. <laughs> I need a sippy cup, Rocco. I need sippy cups. Don't give me this cup. And so we wait in line, wait in line. Okay, we're all going to go. We're a family ride on the roller coaster. So I'm telling all these stories. It's fine. Like we're, going on, we're going on this line, walking, waiting through the line, waiting through the line. We get on this roller coaster, da, 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 and it swings around the corner, and it swings right next, little Israeli now, next to the big roller coaster that's taking the ramp up. And as she comes around, she's trying to get everybody positioned. All she sees is this big ramp, and she thinks that's the roller coaster. She thinks we've really you know, put her on the wrong one. She screams blood curdling scream. Ah! <laughs> and, and everybody looks, I mean, is, you know, people scream like that on the ride, but not, you know, <laughs> as they're loading you in the carts, you know, and, and so she's screaming, of course, we're not on that roller coaster and, and, um, and we don't go up that one, but it was funny. But some people like life, like the kitty roller coaster. I don't, Kevin, we got a little short video. Can, this work that's good you know and some people like life that way just a little kind of you know the uh, the rooster crowing and things and they like their that's how they like their their ride however i've come to discover over the past years of life that life's roller coasters are a little more wilder than that a little wilder than that a little more dramatic Maybe this next video has been more like your life's roller coaster. Thanks, Kevin. You know, I think life's more like that than the first one. It's the unexpected. And my life's been like that, I think, in, in a way, at least plays with your emotions and your physical sense in many ways over the past months, if not years. There's a short passage in Scripture that has spoken to me numerous times through some tough times, through some roller coasters of life. As a matter of fact, it is the first little section of Scripture I remember reading when I was in a very difficult time, and I felt like God's put those words in that place, in that moment, just for me. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Where you're reading through Scripture like, this is bizarre, but that's exactly what I needed for the moment. That happened to me 
in a dorm room in 1974 in college. And these verses spoke to me. It was the first time ever as a pretty new Christian. Like, this is incredible. And over the years, these verses have come back to me, have come back to me. And as I was contemplating what to do and what to speak or to speak this weekend, these are the verses that the Holy Spirit kept bringing to mind and I'd like to share with you today. Because whether we're in this crucible of despair, upside down, wondering what's going to happen, rocketing out of control, or maybe right now your life's kind of one of those vacation moments. Things are going all pretty well. Riding life's pleasures like the kiddie roller coaster for the minute. Or maybe you're hanging on. And you're leaving fingerprints in a steel bar in front of you. <laughs> Rayleigh did that on a kiddie roller coaster. The scriptures speak to us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul wrote this through the Holy Spirit. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Made simple. I believe the Holy Spirit's telling us three things. I want you to be joyful. I want you to be prayerful. And I want you to be thankful in everything. And those are the words that were spoken to me in a very difficult time. Let's, let's take it apart for a minute. What does it mean to be joyful? Joyful. I'm not talking about emotional kind of elation that's false or fake or, or just in the moment. Because you see, happiness is not necessarily joy. We can be happy for a moment. And that's typically found in the circumstance, in something funny that's said, or, or something that's lifted up, or jovial for the moment in the circumstance. But that's not the joy that the Bible's speaking of. The Bible speaks of joy a lot. As I reflected on my own life, I thought, I don't think we use the word joy. I'm, like, I'm such joyful, except in Christmas season, we sing joy to the world. Well, I said I wouldn't sing in church. Um, but we don't use joy a whole lot. The Bible does. Some 88 times in the Old Testament, 57 times in the New Testament, we get the word joy. Christian joy is rooted in a relationship with the Lord. A relationship with Jesus. And it's resilient. Joy is both a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It's both a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. There's a settlement, a contentment, a peace that overcomes you when there's a joy about some particular situation, person, or thing. It's not just the emotion. Joy seems to come, and we know that whatever, whatever happens, God's going to use it everything around us for his ultimate good he tells us that in romans believe believers also have a joy from the dynamic presence of god's spirit in our hearts matter of fact 
Galatians tells us that the Holy Spirit produces a fruit of joy in our hearts. The real secret, though, to a joyful life is in being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? The life and attitude of believers are not defined by outward circumstances, but by a relationship with the living God. And though they can overlap some, in appearance, happiness, again, is more of that outward expression, the appearance. But joy is something that wells up from within. Experiencing happiness, sharing a joke, smiling at someone right now, sharing a moment of happiness, and putting a smile on your face can help reset your joy, your perspective, if you will. However, experiencing joy, real joy, can reset your whole perspective on life. Happiness is typically based in the delightful reality of the moment. Whereas joy, joy, real joy, is based on a hopeful reality of our relationship with God through Jesus. You're going to say, can I really be joyful? I mean, can you just turn it on? Can, can I just like... Okay, Jeff, just turn on. You're in the funeral, burying your dad. Just turn it on. Be joyful. Well, if, it, if I'm defining it as happiness, I can't. It wasn't one of those high-five moments. However, there's a joy that springs up because I knew other things that were going on behind the scenes of my father's body that was laying in that casket because behind the scenes I know somehow he's in the presence of God and there's a joy within me though I did don't like the aspect of him being gone I now enjoy the reality of where he is can you just turn it on the word of God tells us it's only by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is talking to the readers and he's telling them about those people of faith that have gone on before them and have, some of them have gave their lives because of their belief and faith in God. And he says it's like they're, they're this crowd that's overseeing us now and watching us in our lives going forward and he writes this to him he says since we're surrounded by such a high uh, such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let's strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let's run with endurance the race god set before us we do this by keeping how do we do this we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he endured the cross. 
disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. As we walk through life, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus. This, this passage tells me, be joyful. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. And then he says, be prayerful. Prayer. That act of devoted, expressive prayer, uh, the, the conversation with God. You know, we, we so easily talk to everyone else. We're going through the roller coaster of life and something's going on or something's happening. And it's so easy for us to go talk to everybody else and, and tell them our troubles and what's going on and seek advice, counsel, help, or just to share with them or to, to go on Google or, or MedMD and like, how do I deal with this? I got these symptoms. What's going on? Or, or she's got this or he's got this. What do we do? And, and we research it and we look for it and we've got people you know, we've got doctors and nurses that are in this room right now, and there's people that can talk better medically than they probably can because they spend so much time on the network trying to figure out what goes on on, on the World Wide Web. And others, others of us dive into explaining to everybody in social media, you know, what's going on and what's happened and what can we do, and, and it's our first response, our first responder. However, what if we did things a little different sometimes? What if our first response was to be prayerful and talk with God? What if we kept ourselves in an open vigil of communication with Him all the time? Because you might say, can I always be praying? I mean, i got work to do. i got things going on in my life. I'm, I'm talking, I've got a meeting later on. But the idea is, it's an attitude of just, He's there with you all the time and you can always interact with the Lord. What if our first post was to God? What if our first tweet was to Jesus? You know, we do it all the time. Last night, the kids call from Minnesota. We're dedicating our daughter. We watched it on FaceTime, of all things. You know, one of our daughters holding up a camera. We know we posted on Facebook. You know, here's my daughter, you know, my granddaughter being dedicated at church service. Kind of cool to see the technology. Where's God up front? Am I being prayerful? Be prayerful. The last thing he tells us to do is to be thankful. To be thankful. That expression of gratitude. Thanks. Seems a little deeper than that, right? A genuine heartfelt gratitude. A heartfelt appreciation. Something that goes really deep that causes you to respond to life differently, like Jerry come up and tell me, I'm not missing this funeral service, memorial service for your dad, because I did, I need to thank you. I need to tell you. That's thankfulness. That's appreciation. And the writer tells us, our life is to be one of thanks. To be thankful. There's a couple of things that stand out about these three commands of being joyful, being prayerful, being thankful. The first one is that it's a pursuit. He says to be, to be joyful. You know, to be, to exist, your essential essence of who you are, that's what he's saying. Not superficially, but within, there's a joy that comes out. Within me, there's a prayerful life that comes out. Within me, there's a thankfulness to God for life, for what's going on around me. 
that just wells up within me. Not because of what's coming on the outside, but what's coming up and welling out, welling up from inside. You remember when Moses was in the wilderness and he sees a bush that's burning and God confronts him at the bush? You remember the story, right? This 80-year-old man is confronted by God Almighty Himself and God gives him a new mission. I want you to go back to Egypt. You haven't been there in 40 years. I want you to go back and you're going to rescue my people who are slaves in Egypt. And gives Moses a whole new mission. A whole new mission statement. A whole new life. And Moses grasps who he's talking with. And interacts who he's, And he says, he's got one question. What's your name? I, I mean, I need to define you to the people I'm going back to. I need to put something around this to characterize who you are. What's your name? When we want to study something, explain something, define something, we usually ask some questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how, right? And there's even defined processes to go through to ask those questions to understand what's going on. When God answers Moses, you know what he does? He doesn't say what. He doesn't say how powerful. He doesn't say where I'm from or when I'm going to do it or why. He answers the most basic, profound question that we all want to know, that we want to know and be known, and that he says, God says, I am who I am. He answers the who, and that answers everything else. I'm the self-existent one. I'm the self-sufficient one. I am the eternal one. I am who I am, and that defines all other things. The writer says we're to pursue being joyful we're to pursue being prayerful we're to pursue being thankful as part of our life it is to be who we are and the second thing it's a lifestyle Aurelia and i when we sit down with couples and families that are struggling and let's you know, having relationship problems and, and fighting, we, we usually listen to the couples and, and talk through, you know, the dialogue, hear the dialogue, what's going on. And there's an advice we almost always give. We want you now from here on to eliminate, eliminate the following words from your fighting vocabulary. Always, never, and every time or everything or in all. You, you got to eliminate those. Because it's usually like, he always does this. She never allows me this. And it's everything as a disaster. Because, well, you know what? It's not always. And it's not never. And it's not in everything. And so we offer that advice. However, in this passage, note what he says. I want you to always be joyful. Never stop praying. In all or in everything, be thankful. That's to be our essence of how we respond to life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And as they're coming up, I'd like you to reflect on your life, on your roller coaster. Are you being joyful? Are you approaching it prayerfully? Are you approaching your life thankfully? Well, Alan and the girls did convince us to get on that big roller coaster. 
and Aureli watched down below, most likely with a cup of coffee in hand. So the four of us get on this roller coaster, with, and we're on it. Teenage girls, daughters, and Alan, eight, nine years old, we're on the roller coaster, and sure enough, it's clank, 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 clank. We crawl and crawl and crawl up to the top, and I'm sitting there next to Alan, and I'm thinking about, I wonder what the doctors say about the back surgery he had, and the next, you know, I'm thinking all this thing. Please, God, just let me, you know, not fly apart here. And we go in this free fall straight down. It feels like gravity is just, you know, pulling you away from the seat. And I glance down, and it is pulling Alan away from the seat. And he's sliding down like this out of this. And I'm just all I can grabbing hold of him. And he's just in a thrill ride of his life. He has no idea the bizarre thing that he could just, I felt like I could just see him coming. And I'm just holding, grasping on. The girls are watching this from the car behind us. They're like, ah! They, you know, they're screaming not because of the free fall. They're screaming because of what they're observing. We come out of it, twist and turns and flips and come out of it. We're just fine. And Alan's like, oh. That was the greatest experience. That was so fun. Can we do it again? We're like, ah, no, 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 no. But you know what? He went through that roller coaster of life and his daddy was with him and his daddy took care of him. And I'm here to tell you today that your heavenly father is with you. Don't get off the roller coaster. He, he, he doesn't want us to get off or try and find a new ride. Whatever twist, turn, high speed, free fall that you're on, that's the life that you're on. Your heavenly father's with you. Your heavenly daddy is with you. And he's going to take care of you. We're going to spend some time in worship right now. But if God's been speaking to you this morning about how you can be more joyful, about how you can get through certain situations, how you can be more prayerful or thankful, let the worship, let the Holy Spirit soak into that. And afterwards, we're going to have a time of prayer. And we'd like to pray with you, if you will.